This show is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find the other great shows on the network, head over to the Deluxe Edition Network.com. Do you like drinking beer in the garage with your friends on a Friday night and just talking about movies, music, pop culture in general? Well then, my friends, I have a great podcast for you to check out. It's called the Tencent Bear Night Podcast. My name is Ray. I am the host, and I set out to prove things beyond a shadow of a doubt every time I do one of these things. So let's hang out. Welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. With me, as always, Ray, the podcaster. Good afternoon. How you doing, buddy? Merry Christmas, Ray. Yeah, Merry Christmas to everyone. God bless us you? all. Um, How was your a- day, man? You have a good Christmas? Yeah, Christmas is great, man. You get food. Sometimes you get presents, unless you're a bad asshole, and then you get coal. <laughs> I've been heating my house with all the coal I got. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, this Christmas is going to be better for you because we just had a great conversation with Sam Benjamin. When I started doing the research for Sam, I was like, I don't even want to talk about anything but pro wrestling because I found out (laughs) that early on that this guy was a pro wrestling fan and I, I held it in until the end of the episode, right? Yeah, you did. You did a good job holding it. It's kind of like when I was talking to John John about uh, punk rock. I could have just kept going and going. You got to cut yourself off. You got to stop at some point. Yeah. Otherwise, it just turns into a whole show about that. So, you know, it's cool. He was he's knowledgeable about wrestling, though. It was it was wild. I have to be honest with everyone. Sam talked about a lot of things from the 90s during wrestling in here, and I've done a lot of drugs and other things since then. And uh, I I kind of don't remember those specific things that he was t- talking mm-hmm. about, but uh, I went I went along hey, with it. I just kept waiting for you guys to bring up Doink the Clown, but it never came up. <laughs> Matt Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> So what are we what, are we doing this thing or what? We're doing it right. All, All right, right, let's get into it. Let's get the house cleaning out of the way, mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll get right into the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to whatamaneuver.net slash collections slash deluxe dash edition and buy a t-shirt, or go to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. Or you can go to deluxe edition dot show and find all of our previous shows. Uh, we are also on Instagram and Twitter at Deluxe Edition Pod. And we are part of this thing called the Deluxe Edition Network, found at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. And the podcast of the month this month is my co host, yeah. Big Ray, the Still- Ten Cent Beer Night Podcast. 
It's it's still me. This is the last time, though, that I got to put up with this nonsense about my other podcast being worth the fuck. I'm so glad that's over with, because... <laughs> yeah. Where can people find you, Ray? You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Just type in 10 Cent Beer Night Podcast, and I will pop right up, hopefully. And you can go to T Public. same thing, punch in the name of the show, and you can buy pillows, T-shirts. I think we got onesies for fucking babies on there if you really want your kid wearing a shirt that has beer on it. I mean, I, the only thing we don't have that I really want to get, uh, I got to find a company that makes uh, baseball jerseys. I want to do a 10-cent beer night uh, baseball jersey. Yeah. So, I love working. baseball jerseys. Oh, yeah. Well, like I'm the baseball kinda, jersey t-shirt? No, I want the full button-up because, you know, as uh, as I'm getting bigger, you know, I got a beer gut. <laughs> I like that beer gut look where, you know, it's the typical fat American middle-aged guy where he's got the wife beater under it and he's got the wide-open baseball jersey. That's what I'm looking to capitalize on. That's the market I'm after. You want buttons that you're not going to button. You're goddamn right. <laughs> I love it. Ten Cent Beer Night Podcast and uh, Night with a K. And uh, check right. out check out all the other great shows. Check out our show next week. It's going to be January 1st. 2023 we're gonna have kevin van hentenrick on from the movie basket case if you have any questions for uh, kevin please hit us up on facebook and let us know or instagram twitter anywhere anywhere that we can be found we will take your questions for kevin and then uh, after that we have chris candy john candy's son uh, we'll be talking with him, and then we are, we're also doing a thing in the new year, Ray, with uh, a deluxe edition network takeover. So uh, we're gonna have something very special in uh, January for that. Hmm. Should I give it away? Should I spoil it? Go ahead and spoil it. Fuck it. All right, January seventh, we're gonna be doing something a little different. Is it January seventh or January eighth? Elvis's <laughs> birthday. Oh, January 8th. January 8th. So I'm not sure what the day of January 8th is, if it's a Sunday or not. I know uh, we come out every Sunday at 8 p.m., but if January 8th happens to not be a Sunday, uh, there will be an episode coming out mm-hmm. that day. With uh, It's going to be called Barrel-Aged Deluxe Edition with Ron and Stu coming in and doing a hostile takeover of deluxe edition and we'll be talking about the new movie the new elvis movie yeah they can try and take over but i'll be crawling through the fucking ducks and eating (laughs) twinkies and walking on broken glass to defend the deluxe edition so they can try no it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a lot of (laughs) fun we're looking forward to that and then uh we have a lot of uh, a lot of cool stuff coming up in the new year we're gonna be doing things like that with uh, all of the shows on the network where they come Mm. in and uh they take over for uh an episode so come check us out tell your friends Mm -hmm. and enjoy this episode with sam benjamin merry christmas everyone ho 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 sam how are you brother doing good how are you good man so uh the star of the new movie payday Yes. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about that because <clears throat> there's a lot. There's a lot of other things that I want to talk with you about uh, mm-hmm. after we talk about payday. 
Cool. <laughs> After he pours himself his drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it, man. You're the writer. You're the star. Why? Why didn't? Why did you not? Uh, why did you opt out of directing this one? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Why didn't you do everything? Um, <laughs> I really pushed to be the costume designer as well, but they said no. Um, as well as the props guy, I really fancied myself as a good props guy. Um, I um, well, I mean, the truth of it is, is that if if I, in my twelve years of being a professional actor, if I'd already been starring in a movie, I may not have written a movie. So it came out of necessity Kyla Fry who's the leading lady her and I for a while we were doing good stuff but no one was really giving us a shot of playing a leading role so that's how it came about so um and this project was always in tandem with Sam Bradford the director um it was always within his vision as well and he played a big part of it so it was it just kind of organically came together it's his first feature film that he wanted to do um and it just it happened that way i watched it today man it's a great movie uh a crime caper as you call it yes thank you yeah i mean it's been called a heist movie a crime caper movie one review said that it's a rom-com pretending to be a heist movie um so um (laughs) Yeah, but we, we wanted to nod to, you know, Britain has a tradition of making crime caper movies, um, you know, going back to Michael Caine with The Italian Job and films like that. So we wanted to nod to a bit of that, nod to a bit of the Ocean's Eleven and just we wanted to keep it fun but still have a bit of danger to it as well. Um, so this isn't the first time that you and uh, her name's Kyla, right? Yeah. Kyla Fry. You guys have worked together in the past? We have. We, well, we worked together on a short film that we also wrote that was the genesis for this. That was called Double Cross. It's an eight-minute short that's on Amazon Prime, if anyone wants to go check it out. And that was that was us just going, hey, you know, we wanted to work together. No one had cast us together, and we just thought, oh, I think we've got some good chemistry on screen here. So we did that, and then, yes, yeah, seven years later, the payday happened. Uh, we also worked on a web series called The Few. And yeah, it's really cool. It's special when you find an actor. Sometimes you'd be on, on, you turn up to set and you act opposite someone and they're acting and it's fine. But then there's other times when you're on set with someone and they're really listening and you, you can throw out all of your planned stuff <laughs> because they just keep giving you stuff that challenges you and makes you kind of like stepping onto court, you know, with a better tennis player or a high stakes game when you've got good chemistry with someone, it elevates both. Uh, so how did you and uh, Kyla first meet? Uh, you guys have been working together for a long time. We met at the Lyric Theatre in Hammersmith, London, and it was a night of short plays. And I think I had written a short play. This was back in 2011. I'd written a short play, um, that someone asked me to write uh, and she really liked it. And in between rehearsals, we got chatting and we really hit it off on movies and music. Um, And yeah, we just kept in touch ever since. And um, yeah, kind of a 11 year friendship now born into a, put into a feature film. And yeah, she's, I want to do another film with her as well. Yeah, she, she's great. And uh, 
I don't, I'm not giving anything away here, but I, I think it's it's left open for a payday too, right? There's yeah, there's definitely. More there. There's definitely more there. Yeah, definitely. We wanted to we wanted to tell a well-rounded film with a with a good ending, but also there is a hint that yeah, something these characters could uh, come together again, perhaps for a for a sequel or, or a series. But we'll see we'll see how the audience thinks of this one first, eh? And then, <laughs> and then yeah, see. it's really good, man. It's really really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What what's your writing process like for something like this? For this one, it was uh, the characters dictated the story, so we knew we had uh, the Jen character and the George character and those energies, and then it was just a case of finding out who those characters were going to be at the beginning of the film versus who those characters were going to be at the end of the film, and then working out um, the the most fun, entertaining, challenging journey for both of them in a plot that we could shoot on a not too big a budget essentially um so it was a combination of practicality and also lean into the strengths of uh the characters and the energies of of myself and kyla and working with what we had and um so i guess that was it and then once we started working out what kind of budget we might have it was then a case of going right wouldn't it be good if the whole mission takes place in one location so that, you know, we can focus on, uh, you know, crafting a story that cleverly uses an office building with different nooks and crannies and places to, to go to. And then it just kind of went from there really. Um, and then I always, I've been saying on a few podcasts when people ask me, especially writing podcasters that I realize that most of the time I write, I write angry. <laughs> That's like my, <laughs> My writing state is is pure anger, and the <laughs> anger is the fuel to like get to the end. Um, in a similar way, to, I don't know. I've I've heard Sylvester Stallone talk about how I think he says like writing is just the most miserable, boring, mind numbing, <laughs> horrendous, challenging uh, things you can possibly want to do with your time. And there's a million distractions, so you got to have a bit of. Uh, a bit of motivation and mine is anger. <laughs> so, uh, so you're basically sitting there like, I can't believe I'm fucking wasting my time doing yeah. this. This is so fucking this stupid. Is, is, yeah. As you angrily just type away and yeah. beat on yeah. the keyboard. Oh, you want, you want a movie? I'll give you a movie. <laughs> like, here we go. Oh, you want that? Do you? Okay. Okay. Well, all right, here you go. I'll give you. Yeah. Shit. I'm going to try that. I never tried writing angry. I'm going to try that. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. That's, you don't want right. to write in a good place. Because then, yeah, who wants that? You know, <laughs> Jesus, Ray's going to be cranking out all kinds of ah, fucking fuck. scripts out. He's always yeah. angry. If, if yeah. I knew that was how it was done, yeah, I'd have already. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. You just got to channel it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you're living in LA now, right, Sam? I'm in LA at the moment, yeah. So there, there's a lot to be angry about out there, especially <laughs> if you uh, do you drive. Are you driving in the um, United States? I do. I do drive. Yeah. Um, what, what's what's it to be? I, I don't really. I, I'm I'm a bit of. I've got that um, that kind of foreigner immigrant energy though. So everything seems to be amazing <laughs> to me. Um, oh, okay. So I think a lot of Americans are more annoyed than me. I don't know. I kind of what. Maybe you can enlighten me. What's what's going well, on? Well, I I travel for work every week, and I've I've. For the last few months, I've been back and forth to California several times, and the traffic in LA is oh, yeah. to go four miles. It takes you an hour and a half. But then, from the the British point of view on that, is that LA's roads are really well designed, and actually, 
if you don't travel in rush hour, the, the ground you cover is way quicker than the ground you'd cover in Britain. Um, when you look at the map, like I look at the map and I'll, I'll put it in and I'll go, oh, that looks like it's about a 25 minute and it'd be like three minutes. And yeah, there might be traffic, but in England, it's just like all the roads are all interweaving with one another. They're tiny, you know, way, way slower. Um, so yeah, I think Brits, as long as you obviously travel in rush hour, that's a, that's a whole different story, but yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how different of a story that is in rush hour. Like <laughs> yeah. I was I was yeah, trying yeah. to get out of a hotel one time. I was looking at the at, at Google Maps and it says, yeah. you know, you can set your time on there for, for arrival time or whatever, departure. And it was like if I leave by six AM, it'll take me an hour. If I leave at six twenty-two, it'll take three. me like three hours. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and and I w- I'll never forget this that that specific trip because I was on like the fourth floor, and I had to carry all of my stuff down all the steps because the elevator was out of service, and it and it nice. took me longer because then I also had to stop and bitch at the <laughs> counter as to why the elevator wasn't working. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Um, so you mentioned, uh, that one difference of, uh, LA and, uh, your home country. What are, what are some of the other differences, the major differences of, you grew up in, uh, Birkenhead, right? Yeah. Which is near, my home city is Liverpool. Um, and then I lived in London for uh, about 12, 13 years. Um, I'd say if you're comparing London to LA, um, and, uh, uh, t- from a British point of view, um, there's just a more positive, um, outgoing vibe in LA compared to London. Um, people talk to each other um, in London unless they're they've had five beers, they don't talk <laughs> to each other. Um, in in London, if you go out at night and you hit a bar and you have a few bevies, then yeah, you can talk to people, but in the day, if you talk to anyone, people think you're mental. Um, <laughs> like, they're like, even if you ask them a question, they might just ignore you and just pretend <laughs> that you're not there. Whereas in LA, you can strike up a convo with anyone, and I really love that that energy over here. Um, yeah, it's and the customer service is way better. Oh my god, <laughs> go to go back to England would be like a cold shower. You're like, excuse me, could, do you mind if you do your job? And they'll be like, what? <laughs> oh, you want to buy something now? Oh, cash your card? Oh, cash. Oh, that's what it's like in, in London. <laughs> Well, it's I'm, I gotta tell you, maybe maybe I get around a lot more than uh, most people, but people are like that everywhere here. Also, like the other morning at a budget car rental, I asked for a receipt, and it was the okay. same deal. Same yeah. deal. The guy, <sighs> yeah. I'm like, can you just please print me out a receipt? Because I don't want to do it when I get home. Yeah, and he's. <sighs> and he prints it. It took him like three seconds, and I go, yeah. I, I was like. I made it a point to to be really loud, and I was like, "Hey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do that for me." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, it's people are people are like that here too. Yeah, <laughs> you talked a little bit about uh, the state your stage acting with Kyla. You met met her there, right? Yeah. Um, tell us about auditioning to play Paul McCartney in the in the <laughs> Beatles play. <laughs> Where did you get that from? 
<laughs> so that that was I'm not going to tell you what the so it was a play that um, this company was putting on about um, John and Paul, and it was the auditions were in London, and I turned up thinking that it was going to be every Liverpool actor and his dog <laughs> all ready to nail these Liverpool roles. but And I thought, oh, I'll just go anyway, it'd be fun. And then when I got there in the waiting room, all I could hear was lots of Londoners doing terrible Liverpool accents. <laughs> and like, like it, it was like, this is Spinal Tap. It was like everyone was doing <laughs> these weird... Beatles mockumentary <laughs> voices and I just thought what is going on here um, and I thought and my second thought was I'm going to get this if this is the standard <laughs> um, and so I went in and I actually asked my brother my brother is a big Beatles fan um, I'm a casual fan he's a proper fan and I said I said to him I was like right I've got to do Paul like, if you got any t- what give me the tips, give me the tips. So he gave me a few tips, and then I went in, and I just altered my voice just a little bit. Um, my voice is, I suppose, quite close to Paul. If it's just a little change of tone, and then it, it's very easy to, you know, go into the, you know, that kind of sound, but it's not too far off. So I just went in, and <laughs> I kind of knew I had a secret weapon because it was like a natural accent. And uh, and it was a panel, and I, as soon as I started speaking, I could see them all going. They all like relaxed, <laughs> and then um, we, me and this guy playing John, we did a good audition, and then um, and then basically they they ended up offering me the role of Paul, but then in the in the interim, I'd spoken to some people about the company uh, that was making it, and I heard some really bad things. There was lots of red flags. So I turned it down in the end because I was like, oh, this is this is going to go south. This is not going to be a good production. It's going to, you know, the, the, I've heard things about funding falling through and they don't pay people properly and all that. So in the end, I didn't do it, but it was a great moment to at least win the Paul McCartney, <laughs> Paul McCartney role. Um, I've auditioned for a few other. I didn't audition to play Pete Best um, probably about a year ago for a movie that I didn't get. So obviously... Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe the Beatles thing has escaped me as of yet. <laughs> well, I thought it was funny when uh, I think it was might have been your brother that you asked um, what, you know, you had the voice down, you had the tone down, you know, you asked what what else is there that, that I can do? And he said, just add, you know, in between yeah, everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just say, you know, a lot. Uh, and and it, it was a good it was a good way into the character. Um it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, he's an icon, isn't he? Every time I hear him, I just smile. He's, um, he's great. He's yeah, great. absolutely. I've heard you say when you were a kid, you were a very shy kid. What led you to the stage and and acting? You know, how did you get the acting bug? It was because I was shy and I didn't have to be myself. Um, I didn't, oh, I didn't have confidence being myself. But if you give me a character and some lines to say, it, I, I've got an excuse to be confident. So that that was it. I didn't want to be in my own shoes, pretty much. Um, and then I'd, I grew up in a family of movie obsessed uh, fanatics, and I just I don't know. I guess I loved all of that. I, I loved my action figures and um, escaping into heroic roles, whether it be like Batman or pro wrestlers mm-hmm. or 
you know, all these big confident characters. I loved stepping into that and being able to do that. Um, and yeah, it was just something about it. Like you try different things in life and whether it be on the football pitch or in the classroom or, you know, whatever, whatever skill it was, I always felt like with other skills, I could be decent if I put in loads of work. Whereas with acting, it felt like it came naturally to me. Um, kind of like when you're, you know, when I was on a Sunday league football team and you'd see certain players and they'd receive the ball and it, it was just magic. And you're like, Oh my God, this guy doesn't even, he can just, he just knows what to do, which I never felt. Whereas with acting put me on a stage and something about it, I felt like, Oh, I think I, I think I know what to do here. Not to say you don't need to yeah. work hard at it, but it just felt like uh, it was where I was meant to be. So I just followed that instinct. Do you remember the first movie you saw that you were like, I, I think I can do this. Yeah. Uh, in the cinema, it was uh, the first Mission Impossible movie. Hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. And I can still remember, I didn't, I didn't fully understand the plot because I was, I was <laughs> like, I was probably, I don't know what, I don't know what rating that film got, but it was, it was quite, you know, for a kid, it was quite a complex plot. Um, but yeah, seeing uh, that Ethan Hunt character, Defiant, but and still taking a batter in as well, um, I just thought, oh yeah, that's um, that. That was the first movie. But then at home, I remember my auntie got me the video of uh, the Michael Keaton Batman. Oh hell yeah, that's a good that, one too. That was that for me was a game changer because I loved the Batman character, and mm-hmm. I also loved that his Bruce Wayne w- was in a way shy and lonely. Um, I really loved that. And I thought that I kind of related to that. I was, when I was a kid, it was up until I was 11, I pretty much lived with just me and my mum. And I had a lot of time to myself. So I had that like, oh, it's kind of like me. Like I'm like in the back cave, you know? (laughs) Um, So, um, and it's funny, actually I had a full circle moment with Mission Impossible because about three, two years ago, three years ago, um, I went to Prague with my mom and my brother and, um, and, uh, me, we took us, I got my brother to take a photo of me and my mom doing one of the poses and the scenes that Tom Cruise and Kristen Scott Thomas do, um, outside of the, the, the Prague building about the wow. knock list gets out in the open. <laughs> I was like, mom, you got to do this. And she was like, all right, fine. Um, so that was fun. Uh, that's so, awesome. Do you remember the first, what was the first acting that you did? Was it, was it in school or? Yeah, I think in primary school I did, you know, a few um, plays and then uh, the the Christmas nativity play. Um, I think I played a shepherd in one of those. Um, Didn't get the Jesus role, but, you know, (laughs) sometimes the supporting roles are a little bit tastier. Um, And, uh, and then, and then I went to a really uh, for my high school. They didn't really they didn't do drama, so I did a uh, joined a young like a theatre group outside of uh, school. And I also went to an all boys school, so there was the extra bo- bonus of like, oh, there's women here. This is amazing. <laughs> um, it's ninety percent women, and most of the men are gay. So <laughs> this is a good the the, the, the the it's a good environment for success in terms of. Uh, finding a girlfriend here when you're in your teenage years. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, this is interesting because uh, we talked to George Booza a few weeks ago. He was a he was a voice actor, or still is a voice actor. He was in you probably have heard him. He was Beast in uh, X Men animated series. Oh, nice. Um, but he also went to an all boys school in uh, in Ohio, and then he started doing stage plays and, and and that stuff as well in high school. He would go around to girls schools and audition for plays is it would that's a great idea would you guys do the same thing or no or, we had so we had, so i guess like how i'm asking you said you're at all boys school would the girls come to your school and audition to be in the play or like how, how does how would that work no so we um in our school we had there was a, a boys school and a girls school and they were they were next to each other um so they did do when they did a, a play. They only did one play a year, I think, and it was with it was only people who were sixteen to eighteen. Um, and they did for that one. It was boys and girls from both schools would come together to do it. Um, but they'd always do um, first of all. They, well, they always did musicals, and I never until I went to drama school. I was never really a musical fan, um, and I wanted to do meaty plays. Um, but then also. The, the music director of these plays was the head of music and the head of music hated me because he invited, <laughs> I used to play the saxophone and he sent me a letter one day saying something like, oh, congratulations. Um, uh, I'm now inviting you to join the woodwind group um, or my woodwind group orchestra. Um, we, we meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I was like, no, I'm all right. <laughs> and then and, and he was like, we had this awkward thing. And he, he goes, no, no, no. It's it, like, this is a prestigious thing. Like, it's not, it's not. Invite only, man. Yeah. You've now, like, you've now been chosen to be part of like the group. And then I was like, I don't want to be in the group. <laughs> like I, I was I wasn't I wasn't by no stretch was I one of the cool kids in high school by no stretch but I definitely didn't want to be in the bloody woodwind group I know that wouldn't have gone down well with the clientele so um so I and also I I I hated school so I didn't want to spend my extra time at school so I was just like no nah, I'm all right thank you and then so from then on he hated me and he had a big say in, in who was cast in the plays oh wow <laughs> so um I kind of burned my bridge there so I always just did it outside of school um which was a lot of fun so yeah that so uh outside of school then um you meet Patrick Stewart tell us about that uh you he came to one of your classes where was that at so that was I'll try and tell it quick. So uh, there's a thing called the National Student Drama Festival. They watch about 100 plays a year of students putting on plays. I was in a play. Uh, they pick actors from all the plays and then all those actors audition. And then they pick 15 actors every year to, to go to their summer school. And I got picked, um, went to their summer school. And it was at the University of Huddersfield, which is Patrick Stewart's hometown. And he came along and taught us some Shakespeare. And that was just an epic moment. And they surprised us as well. They didn't tell us that he was going to be doing that. He just turned up. And it was also when I learned that he is not a posh, like, 
rich background, upper class gentleman, as his voice may suggest sometimes, but he's actually a working class lad from a blue collar town in the north of England, um, a town not too dissimilar to my hometown. And so suddenly there's a realization going, oh, oh, maybe it's doable. Maybe, you know, he really inspired me that and, and, you know, lit a fire under me that was like, oh, yeah, this is, I can do this. I can, not to say that, <laughs> like, oh, if Patrick Stewart can do it, I could do it. But <laughs> it was just meeting someone and having someone who gave their time to me um, and having earned that spot at that summer school, it was a real moment of going, wow, this, this isn't, this isn't just a dream world. I reckon I can actually have a good crack at this. So that was a big turning point for me. And I've never met him since. Hopefully one day I will, um, and I'm, I'll, I'll be able to thank him, um, you know, to his face. You said something there that I've heard you say before in some of the other interviews that I've been listening to um, that you realized or you, that that was when you found out that he wasn't from a rich upper class mm-hmm. um, background. And as his voice may suggest, do do people change their voice like why do you say that like do do people who are higher class speak different than other people there it's a really interesting it's really interesting to hear the like your perspective on that so so the way this is obviously my version of 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 history but essentially accents are a big deal in england and um the way i've always learned it was that um the kind of the Queen's English, um, so to speak, the posh, well-spoken British accent is actually an artificial creation from public schools, i.e. private fee-paying schools from centuries ago, and they wanted to create it so that if you were educated from one of these schools, you would stand out. So it's actually an artificially created accent whereas all the other areas and regions of the UK have organic accents that have come from the various different people that have lived there and all that kind of thing. <clears throat> so the, the aftermath of that now is that accent can often reveal your background. Um, in Patrick Stewart's case, so there's a generation of actors. I went to drama school, like many actors have done, but years ago... If you went to drama school, they taught you to lose your natural accent and to speak with what you could say is the Queen's English or received pronunciation, as it's called. So Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are two really good examples of people that like Ian McKellen is from Bolton, a blue collar town in the northwest of England. And people from Bolton talk like this, um, really broad a colorful accent. So that kind of generation, they were taught, they were kind of, it was, I don't want to say beaten out of them, but it was kind of said, Hey, if you're going to be an actor, you have to have this neutral accent with perfect pronunciation so that you can get work. And then you can always learn the different accents from that. So that's, that's kind of, they don't do that anymore. Um, In drama schools, they let you keep your accent, but they just teach you how to do other ones. (laughs) Um, so that's where it comes from, but it's intertwined with a lot of um, class, you know, history within England. And there's still a, a lot of a bit of a hangover of the class system in, ter- in, in the industry as well. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, that, that 
I've had been been hung up on that for a while since you I heard <laughs> yeah. you say that in the past. That's that's really interesting. So it, are they still teaching that Queen's English? Is is that Yeah, so it's I mean it is still it's a you know, it's an accent that people speak with and when you go to drama school now, they will teach you it's called received pronunciation. And I guess it's defined as a regionless English accent um, with certain sounds that kind of, you know, like how Patrick Stewart speaks. Um, So they do teach you how to do it. It's up to the actor whether they want to change their speaking voice to that or whether they want to. And sometimes as well, you can't help it. Some people pick up accents. It's like, I've got a British friend who moved to America five years ago and I speak to him now and he sounds American to me. Uh, So, you know, different people, I I don't know what the research is, but I think some people, there's a word they use. Some people are, they naturally um, sponge up the sounds of their environment like really quick and they adopt the voice of where they are. Whereas other people, if they hit a certain age and they've spoken a certain way, it doesn't matter what you do. They're always going to sound like that. Um, so, so that's kind of what it, you know, and it can be a bit of an identity crisis as well. If you, especially from the north, and you go to the south, London, and then you're like, oh, what, a, you know, and then you go back up there, and they think you sound really posh, and you're like, oh, you sound like one of them southern, you know, posh fairies now. What are you doing? Um, and then, and then you go back down, and they're like, bloody hell, you this northern rough guy over here. So, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting thing and I think it's one of the reasons why British actors love coming to America because in America to us at least there's just that that classism isn't there so I can turn up and if I if I you know if I speak in my normal accent as far as they're concerned I'm British and I can yeah. play a British high class lawyer or I can play <laughs> a British drug dealer doesn't really matter like right. they'll, they'll believe me either way um and, and and be open to it so that's why a lot of Brits love the American industry yeah. That's kind of funny because here we have different dialects too, and everyone yeah. just assumes every from everyone from the south is an idiot. So <laughs> that accent kind of gets that uh, you know you're yeah. a hillbilly who's you know drinking moonshine in the mountains. Yeah. And if you sound like you're from New York, there's a certain aspect of it. Yeah. So you probably uh, like. Do you think we all sound the same for the most part? Like we no, like no. obviously like we have a tough time. I couldn't tell you different British accents. Yeah. Like you said, I'm American. I hear you speak. I go yeah. British. There you huh. go. Don't know where the hell he's from, but yeah. he's British. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, no, it depends on the person I, I've, because it's my trade. I've, I've got quite a good ear for accents. So I, I love trying to figure out where people are from. I think generally, if you asked an average Brit, they would know in terms of accents, they would know, They'd be like, right, you've got American, and you've got uh, which 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 means they could be from anywhere, and then you've got New York, and you've got the South. I think yeah. that'd be, you know, everyone knows what a New Yorker sounds like, especially if it's it would just be an imitation of like De Niro in a gangster film, right? Or, or like you know, or one of those stereotypical like Scorsese accents, and then and then just general American like how. I don't know, Tom Cruise speaks when he's in an interview. And then there's Southern, uh, which is associated with the Cowboys and the Rednecks and um, and and all of that, all of that kind of thing. So I think that would be general. Uh, this is, you've got three accents, according to me. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I think because there's so much now, like we, you know, Brits, 
I don't, I don't know whether Americans realise, but we watch so much of your shows and movies that we we often know a lot about. Um, you know, you watch a few Boston crime films, and then you know about this, and then you watch a few Coen Brothers movies, and you're like, oh, so you know, we've got that accent as well, Francis McDormand, and all that. So um, yeah, and because our accents, we've got so many in England, we we kind of probably have a good ear for it. How's your American accent? Um, I mean, I've been paid to do it, so yeah. I'll take that as a. <laughs> it's I, it's not too bad. If um, you got if you got paid to do it, then I say it's good. Then yeah, exactly. That's the definition. That's the definition. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe the next project I'll get to do a nice, a nice, um, uh, a nice Utah accent. Ah, there you go. You could play a cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, maybe. There you go. Absolutely. I can see it. While we're talking about accents, I recently started listening to, and I don't want this to go off on the tangent that uh, that it could go off onto just yet, but I started recently listening to William Regal's podcast. Oh. And I know. I, calm down. We'll get there. Um, he has said about how many people have come up to him and done horrible British accents. And. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you the same question, uh, and then I started watching interviews and listening to interviews that you've done over the past couple of years, and I can't believe the amount of people who will do it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I see it as flattery if somebody somebody does an impersonation of of your home accent. I, you know, I, I think it's all it's all good fun. Um, uh, yeah, and you get you get people doing, but it's the same thing that happens in if an, when American comes over to Liverpool, and as soon as we hear you're American, you know someone will be, you know, doing oh howdy partner, you know, <laughs> I'm from America, like, yeah, I'm from, yeah, yeah, how's America, you know, how's it going, and then and then people are like um, I'm, I'm from New England actually, so um, so yeah, I, I, I love all that stuff. I love people, um, and I love the. The constant American British chat of you oh you call it that? What? You know, and finding out there's there's certain like little there's little phrases that are not obvious that we just you don't understand and we don't understand. Um so it's a, there's a lot of fun. And William Very Regal, cool. what a legend, a fellow northern Brit from Blackpool, the Northwest. So he's yeah, man. someone who um yeah, we're gonna get into a little uh, wrestling talk. I, I saw your shirt there. Not not just oh, yet. Yeah. Not just yet. <laughs> um, let's go back to uh, let's go back to uh, stage acting. Yeah. Um, most, I think, just about everybody Ray that we've talked to has has had a stage background, other than uh, last week's guest John Ross Bowie. Yeah. Um, how important do you feel stage acting and Shakespeare is to to hone your craft uh, as an actor? I think every actor has their own journey and that their journey should be defined by and will be defined by where they grew up, what their upbringing is, what they have access to, um, whether it be resources or local um, clubs, facilities, resources, all that kind of thing. But I think the way to, the way I see it is, um, you know, if you're, if you look at someone like Prince, his ability to do funk, jazz, rock, R&B is informed by his 
insane knowledge of classical music and the scales and the, all the different keys. So I think it is that there's something about the classical, the, the principles of classical acting and stage acting and Shakespeare, that it gives you a discipline and a knowledge of what's possible. And then, so when you do go in and play, then when you, when you finish drama school and you end up playing, like they call you in and they say, can you just do your accent and do exactly who you are and just like literally just be yourself in this cheesy throwaway action film? Then you go, oh, okay. And you might not even pull in on, you know, it's the same thing, I think, as a musician, if it's a classically trained pianist, and then they call you in and they go, yeah, we've got these three chords, we're going to riff, we're going we're gonna to just use those three today, you know, in this scale. You're not going to use all the scales. Not every job you're going to need all the keys. Not every job you're going to need all the styles. But it's just a really good um, – it shows you what's possible. And you can always – it's crazy what you pull on. Um, sometimes when I'm in an audition or a rehearsal – or, you know, trying things with a character, there's certain principles that if you, it's almost, a, it's like, um, I heard Shia LaBeouf say, because he said he's not, he doesn't regard himself as a trained actor who went to school. And he says sometimes he's with other actors on a set and he can tell that they have a toolbox <laughs> so that when, when, they, when they can't fix what they're trying to fix, they can dip into the toolbox and choose another instrument. Um, so sometimes it feels a bit like that, but it's hard to judge because obviously I'm now, I've not been through that. Um, but there's certain things that I'm just trying to think of a concrete example. Um, but it, it's a safety for when you're stuck, really. Um, if you're in a position where, oh, I don't know what they're asking me here. Like, what the, I don't know what to do. And then you go, oh, wait a minute. You'll have a memory from that. Shakespeare play that you absolutely hated and they forced you to do it this way and you're like oh and you're like oh wait a minute I can use that right now um so I guess that would be yeah and I think the stage yeah it's just a very solid solid um because you got an audience you got a live audience so there's there's it's high stakes performing because <laughs> yeah. if they don't like it they don't like it yeah, what what are some of uh, the helpful things that you do for remembering, uh, for like memorizing your lines when you're out there on on stage? I still don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, maybe if you've got any ideas, throw them in. No, I have. I, uh, no, um, I actually have a, a thing that I keep forgetting to read. <laughs> that uh, a guest of ours uh, wrote. He actually wrote a book on how to act Shakespeare. And uh, a section of it is memorizing. Well, um, I think there's obviously ways you can learn. Every, everyone's got a different method. Everyone remembers things in a different way. For me, I think at the, where I'm at, I've been doing it for like, what, 12, 13 years. And the answer is there's no tricks. There's no shortcuts. You just have to fucking read it. <laughs> 500 times and you know Anthony Hopkins said that when somebody asked him what his method was and he said I just I just read it 200 times that's all I do and if you're doing a play it's actually easier than you think because if you've got a good rehearsal period 
and you're coming in every day full time and you're working through the scenes and you're saying the lines and you're saying them off the page. And then after a while, it just, it, it starts to become part of you. And then you've got, you can relate it to the movements around. So, you know, that, Oh, when I move to the table, he, he slams his hand on the desk and he says that line. Okay. Yeah. That's in there now. Um, but in film and TV, often you don't have time. So it, it's just independently studying it and then turning up and you might turn up and you might have blocked even, even what's on the script. I'll <laughs> be like, yeah, he sits down at the desk and says this. And then when you get there, they're like, oh, uh, yeah, we didn't like the desk, so we got rid of the desk. So you're just going to be standing up against the wall. And then on that bit, you're going to be looking out the window. And you go, oh, oh okay. So um, with film and TV, it's way quicker. So you just, you just have to do whatever you can to know the lines and then get on set. Hopefully your partner is willing to run them with you. Um, and they always say it's easy to remember the lines if you know what they mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, It's like when you, if you're giving a – a best man speech or saying a few words and you've written it down. The, the, the joke that you love, you never forget. It's all the stuff that you kind of, yeah, that's all right. That's the bit that's hard to remember, but the really cool bits you normally remember because you know what it means to you. Right. Cool. Hmm. Yeah. I've always, uh, I've always wondered about that. It might be one of the fears that I've had about trying it. I don't know. Um, so were your parents su- supportive of uh, your choice to become an actor? They definitely were. Um, they just didn't know what to do to help it in terms of... I Actually, uh, when we had the premiere of The Payday uh, the other week, my mom was there. And I always thought she thought I was a bit crazy for wanting to be an actor. And then she piped up and she went, no, I never thought that. She goes, <laughs> She goes... I think I always knew you were going to be an actor ever since you were a kid. And I was like, why didn't you tell me this all this time? Um, she would, you know, my mom's, my mom's a hairdresser. Uh, my dad was many a profession, taxi driver, forklift truck driver, um, yellow pages, delivery man, um, unemployed. Um, so with those professions, they just, I think they just didn't want me to struggle for money that that was their main message of listen, like try and do something where you're not struggling for money. But at the same time, they said, you might as well just do what you want. Like, why not? So I think I was lucky in that sense. And maybe because I know some other people who have say, you know, people, uh, parents who are financially way more successful that put a lot of pressure uh, on and, and maybe in that instance, it can actually be a hindrance because if you're there, you know, and mum and dad have paid for everything and all your fees for your fancy schools and all that, and you turn around and say, yes, I'm going to do an RT profession. Thank you very much. <laughs> and they're like, no, you're going to be a lawyer or a doctor. Which one? So <laughs> so they were always very – and my, 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 my two grandmothers, my nans, as we say in England, um, both of them were very supportive – one of my one of my grandmothers, I always think, in another era, she should have been a Hollywood uh, like leading lady. She loved the movies. She she used to sit me down in front of black and white films all the time. And at first, I'd always be like, "Oh, Nan, why are we watching this old crap?" And then and then twenty minutes in, I'd be hooked. <laughs> uh, so in a way, I've kind of I always felt like I was kind of doing it for her as well, um, you know, because she always had this complete like if she was still here and she knew that I was you know in LA 
um, in Hollywood. She just, she just, you know, wouldn't believe it. That's awesome. <laughs> so I asked this question to uh, Jane Badler. She lives in Australia. Um, might might be a dumb question. You you, you said <laughs> that a lot of people, you know, from your country watch American television. Correct. Um, is there is there like a Hollywood type place in England? Like, because your your movie was shot there, right? Yeah, in London. Yeah. Um, are you talking about? Uh, do you mean Hollywood in terms like, of? Like the place, yeah, like and reputation, or in terms of, um, I don't know, like, yeah, what, what do you mean? Like, like, I guess, like, where, where they go to shoot everything, like, studio, like, all the studios and like where things are broadcast from, like, an area like that, yeah. I mean, traditionally, it'd be London, um, they do have a few pockets, um, the BBC have deliberately tried to spread it out a bit, so they've got a base in Manchester, they've got a base in in Wales, like Doctor Who is filmed in Wales, for example. Um, so they've deliberately tried to have little, almost like satellite towns. But I guess, you know, London would be the Hollywood, and then maybe Manchester would be Atlanta, Georgia, where, you know, they've got tax breaks and they make things there. Mm-hmm. And then Wales might be like, you know, somewhere like somewhere else where they, it's like a second, like a Chicago but London is unrivaled. It's not like when you've got LA and New York. London is like, whoa, it's really unbalanced, actually. Um, but there you go. It's, it's, I mean, London's one of the oldest cities in the world. Yeah, but people, but people still want to come here. Like the the industry is much larger in the United States, though, right? Like people oh. are still trying to come here for. Um, I think oh, the industry is is it's like Bambi versus Godzilla um, in terms of, I just mean in terms of quantity of things getting made networks, right. channels, streamers work, um, huh? work, right? <laughs> work. Yeah. Uh, um, just in terms of just because you've got a bigger population, sure. you've got 50 States and all 50 States are like, like mini countries. Um, whereas England's like, one state. I mean, it's got a, a big population for one state, but um, so we've only got so many channels, so many people to show shows to. Um, so that's not to say that Britain, you know, and even when I've come here, um, you know, lots of British stuff does well over here and you guys, yeah. you know, and we do make, we make some great shows. We make some great films. We've got a great tradition in this profession. So we definitely make great stuff. Um, but, it sometimes can be a smaller pool of people that they pull from to make those shows. So it's kind of, everyone's good. You got to work out where, you know, I've done some big shows in the UK, um, but you know, hence the payday, you know, I, I, I didn't want to, I don't want to have a career that's just doing one episode in a show, you know, twice a year. I want to be doing meteor roles and bigger roles. So hence why, you know, sure. America has a lot more opportunity. Sure. Uh, So how did you go about, you mentioned funding for the payday at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the show. So was it, uh, how did, how did you get the funding? Was it a crowdfunding thing or? It was just, it was, um, I mean, I I didn't get fully involved in all of the, I'm, I'm an, I'm kind of an associate producer, but I wasn't in the thick of it, but essentially it was, it's an independently financed movie, um, private investment. And 
Um, a lot of the key talent uh, waived their fee. Um, the, the director and he already had an inbuilt crew from his production company called Praxima. So all of those, all of those guys were really hungry to make their first feature film. So it was like, we're waving our fee. We'll take something at the back end when the money finally starts coming in. So uh, there was a lot of, a lot of that throughout the whole, the whole thing. But um, yeah, we got some, you know, independent producers putting in money um, once we pitched them on the idea. So yeah, it's a very much an independent production, but we wanted to make it with the spirit of it being, a, you know, a, a movie that punches above its weight basically and gives people a, because um, we, you know, we we didn't grow up on artsy, you know, festival, um, you know, looking into the abyss kind of films. We we grew up on fun Hollywood action comedy romance. So that's that's what we wanted to do. And we thought, hey, well, we've got this budget. What can we do on that budget? Yeah, uh, yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen the payday yet, definitely check it out. It's uh, it's really really good movie. Tell everyone where they can find it. You can go to paydaymovie.com whether you're in the US or the UK, and you can follow the links there. It's on um, in the UK, Amazon, Apple, and Sky Store. And then in the US, Amazon, Apple, Vudu, Google Play, all of those ones. So but paydaymovie.com will take you to wherever. Uh, yeah, give us a give us a ride. Yeah, it's, a, it's really good. Um, I have a couple more notes here. What were you shooting in Florida? I heard you mention <laughs> something in Florida. I live in Florida. I live in Tallahassee. Oh, no way. Whereabouts? Tallahassee. Ah, yeah. Um, it was my – Florida is my is my uh, affectionate first American home because I, I worked for Disney World when I was 19 in Orlando um, and had a blast. Um, yeah, so that we were filming in Tampa and – it's a psychological thriller called Bad Tenant, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be on the Lifetime Network um, sometime next year. Um, so, yeah, very, um, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a great cast, a uh, great director, um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun being in Florida. Loved yeah, it. I love it here. I, I've only been here a little over a year, but uh, it's it's great. Ray, am I missing anything? Uh, I th- I think we we got to the movie. We got to what he's doing now. Uh, what's what's next? Uh, it's a lovely question. That every <laughs> actor wants to know the answer to. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's um basically it is what's next is uh, I'm gonna. I've got a few more um, meetings before Christmas where I'm pitching movie ideas. I'm talking with Sam Bradford and Kyler about what our next film is going to be. And um, and then aside from that, um, it's going to be, you know, pitching ideas and then also auditioning for parts and seeing, seeing what comes next. I mean, 2023, it's all, it's all up in the air really. So uh, it's the nature of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully someone sees the payday, someone like Steven Spielberg, and just says, hey, <laughs> uh, that's Sam Benjamin. I definitely don't want to work with him. So, Well, uh, no, what he says is, is, I need that guy to play my British villain in the next, exactly. 15, in the next 15 movies I make. That's what exactly. you need. Or yeah. I've got um, somebody one, on one of these podcasts, somebody said that I was, and I don't know why they chose this film. They go, um, yeah, you've got like, 
You've got a Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder vibe. <laughs> and I just thought, I, I mean, I loved it, but I was like, why not? Why didn't they say Top Gun? Like, why yeah. Days of Thunder? <laughs> Is nah, it because like, he was pretty young back then, right? He yeah. Was... Um, yeah. But anyway, but so, um, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe the long lost uh, younger sibling of Ethan Hunt, maybe that's, that's the call. Mm. Um, ah, yeah. Or, um, I, I mean, I mean that was a dream role back in the day, but I wouldn't want to step in. But Michael J. Fox's uh, "My McFly," what a yeah, what a, what a role that is from behind mm. you there. Yes, That's sir. So nowhere in there did I hear anything <laughs> about Dixie Dean. Oh, who, who I I I want to know more about, and I want what? you to write about. So tell us, just give us a little rundown on Dixie Dean. I think I think that you should write this, man. Uh, this he's a sneaky one. This guy, yeah, he is. Detective, you're like Columbo. Um, <laughs> you're like, oh, there's just one more thing. Um, no, I still have one more after this too. Okay, okay um, three false exits. I want three false exits. Um, <laughs> Dixie Dean, um, for those who don't know, is some people regard him as the greatest goal scorer of all time his his english goal scoring record is has never been beaten even by messi or ronaldo he scored 66 goals in a season for my club everton back in the 20s and 30s he played for england as well and his story's never really been told he's he's from my hometown of birkenhead um i've actually got a I'm I'm slightly related to him by marriage through my stepdad. And yeah, it's it's just a rags to riches story and hard times of a guy that hardly anyone knows. And if he was here today, he'd be a multi-millionaire world celebrity. But back then he retired um, and ended up running a pub (laughs) and didn't think of a, of it being that big a deal that he, <laughs> you know, that he, um, um, and I don't know how, whether you, you, you and he was the greatest of all time. Some people regard him as the greatest of all time. And, um, he also was very interesting because without going too much into it, but Everton football club, my team, um, since I've been alive, really, we haven't really done much. We were one of the, I don't know what the equivalent team is. Uh, oh, I can tell you, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan over here. We haven't won shit in like, 50 fucking years. So okay. I about to say. Because I've heard, uh, I mean, I was, t- I was speaking to a Dallas Cowboys fan and they, they said that they haven't won anything for a while, but they used to win it all the time. Yeah. Um, but basically we, you know, in the eighties, we, we were winning leagues and winning trophies and um, we're one of the oldest teams in the land. Uh, but recently we've done nothing. And, and uh, yeah, his, there's something about his, his philosophy on football that still is ingrained within the club. Um, so it'd be something I'd love to do. Um, but it's one of those projects where, yeah, it's like getting a project off the ground and, but thank you for reminding me. There's, he's one of the guys that, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to play and I'd love to do. Yeah. Um, his with, uh, with the success of Ted Lasso, this might be the, the right striking point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um and funnily enough, I'm actually someone just approached me about um 
a, a football related, a soccer related project. Hmm. Um, so who knows? Yeah, it's definitely. Um, there's always been appeal of 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 soccer, but yeah, maybe Ted Lasso has broken the American market a little bit for you guys to like it a bit more. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's oh, been I think pretty so. popular. The last, I mean, soccer has has become, especially when the, when the World Cup is on, <clears> it's <throat> huge. I mean, Americans, you know, all of a sudden are soccer fans when the World <laughs> Cup is on. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen anything like it. Everyone, everyone suddenly has a relative who's Brazilian. I've noticed. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I got my Brazil shirt on. You know. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like, what? <laughs> yeah, but uh, Ray makes a good point there. While the while the iron is hot, maybe now would be it. Now would be a good time mm-hmm. to uh, to work on that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's one of those, and and I I don't even know the full details, but I know that. The, the, there's always been talk of a project about Dixie Dean, and I don't know whether even the rights are tied up with um, uh-huh. some family members who are already making a project. But I feel like it's a kind of project where, you know, after the payday and after something that raises my profile a bit, once I've got a bit more of a name, it's something that I could, I'd be in a better position to, to, to maybe get going. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. man. And uh, something else that is hot, very, very hot right now, that you have a movie that I'm very interested in about <laughs> called The Screwjob. Yep. Tell us about this, man. <laughs> um, so when, uh, so we're obviously both pro wrestling fans. You're wearing a Macho Man Randy Savage shirt. I'm wearing an Arn Anderson. We're almost, it's almost. Whoa, like I didn't even notice that. Yeah, toot toot, baby. <laughs> Oh, I hate to toot, oh. hate to toot my own horn, but toot toot. Big, big fan of Arn Anderson. <laughs> um, so, uh, tell us about the Screwjob Man. When I first when I first saw the title, I, I obviously mm-hmm. went right to the Montreal Screwjob. Yeah, that's where my head went. But yeah. after reading more about it, it has it's not anything like that. Well, I'm happy about that because I was hoping I don't want to annoy <laughs> Brett. I don't want to say, Wait a minute. Um, he's an angry, angry man. Well, no, but I, I and also because I, I, I love the guy, so uh, yeah, yeah, the hero of mine. Um, Screwjob. I'll be honest. It's, I mean, it's, it's a small project. It's going to be about. It's a, it's an eight. It's going to be an eight minute short film. Um, the, the post production has gone a lot slower than I thought. It's already in the can. I'm just waiting for um, the credits to be put in and a few of the other kind of visuals to be finished and then it's, it's good to go. And I'm going to submit it to festivals, film festivals and see, see what happens. Um, and it's essentially, it kind of, it's my first project as a director. Um, so for that one, I did direct, write and star. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, Very cool. And I think it was just, it was really just a case of, I had an inkling to, I wanted to try directing and I thought, well, if I'm going to direct, I might as well do the film that I want to do. <laughs> and I just thought, what film do I want to make? And um, and then it became, I wanted to do something in the world of wrestling. And and then I just started brewing ideas. And then obviously the screw job incident in Montreal is a fascinating thing. But actually, it's even though it's called screw job, because it's such a, I mean, that's such a good word, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, I was thinking about this the other day. I would say that the energy behind it is actually more to me the screw job. The biggest screw job in, for for me personally was the screw job that happened at one night only in '97, 
when Shawn Michaels beat the British Bulldog. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I was there with oh, my dad sure. as, as, a, as a young kid and, you know, the hometown hero. Hmm. Um, loses in front of his crowd, Loses right? in front of his home fans and... Vince Shawn McMahon Mike- did not care about you. One Sean Michaels, <laughs> Michaels cheats to win, and Brett and Owen were nowhere to be seen until it was too late. And also, um, <laughs> Bulldog dedicated the match to his, I think it was his sister who had cancer. <laughs> and I'm like, and apparently, from what I've heard, um, apparently it was a last minute change. Apparently, the plan was, uh, in fact, I was listening to Jim Ross talking about it, and he said the plan all along was for Bulldog to to be victorious. In his, and he, he was undefeated at home as well at the time. Um, and, yeah, and for the like, the Davey Boy Smith, like, talk about a guy that was largely responsible for WWE's British fan base. Absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do SummerSlam 92 if it wasn't for the Bulldog. And I was just like, that's, nah, that's not on. And especially as a kid, I was like, what? And I can remember my dad, my dad literally, my dad was, after it ended, and I was just stood there in complete shock. And my dad, my dad was like, um, I think, I think it's, I think it's over now. I think we can go. And, and I was like, that can't be it. That can't be it. And then I remember Brett and Owen came out to like run run off Sean and Triple H. And then I was just like, too late? What are you doing? Where were you? <laughs> I'm still I'm still angry about it. So, um... <laughs> so, um, I, I, hey, I always have to tell my friends this. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Did you know it was um, on on Ric Flair's? Inst- uh, I don't know if it was Ric Flair's Instagram or a fan account, and they posted um, one of the promos he did where with with Eric Bischoff and with the Four Horsemen in the ring on Nitro, and he's in a tux, and he and he just keeps saying over and over again, "This is real." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, exactly." Um, so no, but I think that that was I think. My screw job is is more associated with that. So I took the, the principle and the, the, that very dramatic concept that you know a, a win could be taken away from you, even if you feel like you deserve it. You still it still can be taken away. So um, I hope I don't disappoint now because it, again, it was a very <laughs> low budget shoot, and it's more about the drama behind the scenes than sure. it's got, it hasn't got any real bone crunching wrestling action. Partly because of the budget, because I just thought if I was going to do a, a movie with a with a wrestling match in it, I'd want it to be you know really perfection, and that would involve choreography and rehearsal time, and you know hiring people in to to really make sure everything was was all good. So it's very much a behind the scenes, more character driven piece. And Eloise Lavelle Anderson is the lead and she's incredible. So I'm looking forward to, and, and it is, it's, uh, I'm hoping my, my aim for it is to, well, for a few people who are snotty about wrestling to go, Ooh, yeah, this wrestling thing. But also um, I think it'd be a great basis for a, for a full length movie. Um, And I actually, I'm not going to say who it is, but, I bumped into a very, very big um, wrestler in a coffee shop the other week. 
um, <laughs> who'd be perfect in it. Um, so I've kind of laid a bit of foundation. So who knows? Hopefully I'll get some interest. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully if wrestling fans get behind it, I can, I can do something. Because I do, I do think the, you know, fighting with my family, I enjoyed. Um, and the wrestler was unbelievable. But I feel like they were both really extreme in the terms of the wrestler was quite dark, which is, that's the story it was meant to be. And then fighting with my family was very, very like glossy and cheesy. Um, I'd love to tell a story that kind of has the light and the dark and is a, is a bit of a, you know, it's a real drama, but it's also inspiring, but also with some tragedy in there as well. Yeah. Well, uh, if you need any help with, uh, so, so the, <laughs> before that, the point of making an eight minute short is, is to eventually try and be something bigger. Is that, yeah, it's, it's like a funny thing in the industry, a short film. It's, it's kind of what you do when you don't have a million dollars to make a film, sure. but you want to tell a story that means something to you. So you gather in some talent and sometimes, you know, as actors or filmmakers, we just want to work. So, if you've got nothing going on for a few months, mm-hmm. then, you know, you pull in your friend who's a great DP, you pull in your friend who's a great, um, you know, focus puller or, and then you're like, oh, and, you know, my friend Eloise, she'd be great in this role. And you just, you know, you get together and you make something. And then, yeah, sometimes, especially nowadays with how much cheaper technology is, people people want to see what, what they're backing. So, you know, you can go into an office and, you know, pitch them an idea. But if you can say, Hey, just watch this. It's going to be like this. Oh wow. yeah, I see it. So yeah. sometimes it, it can be, you know, even um, Robert Rodriguez did it with Sin City. He made that, that scene with Josh Hartnett at the beginning. Yeah. He just filmed that um, on its own and then sent it to the, you know, the studios or whoever was funding it just to put them at ease and go, this is what it's going to be like. So um mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a film festival circuit as well for short films where people, you know, film buffs go and they watch a night of short films and see, you know, good little little mini stories. That's sure. uh, they did that with Spinal Tap too because they couldn't oh, really they? describe. Yeah, they couldn't really describe it, so they made a little short, like eight ten minute yeah. thing to show them what it was going to be, and they still didn't get it, but they made the movie. So yeah, oh, what a film! <laughs> Is yeah. that available anywhere, Ray? That short? I don't think so. I think uh, it's one of those things, you know, back then they didn't really think that these were going to be something important. So they didn't really keep track of them very well. It's kind of like the original Caddyshack version is like four, five hours long. And as they edited it, they just threw it on the floor. Jesus. So a lot of it's lost to history. Yeah. Well, that's like a lot of like old, old live television was never recorded. And then they just would record right over. Yeah. Yeah. like the like this um vampire actually mm-hmm. the day we're recording 12 11 today's actually christmas when this comes out but 12 11 <laughs> today's actually her birthday vampire myla nermy and um same thing there's about three minutes of footage that exists of her um because it was the same deal they they never recorded anything from her show um but i'm really looking forward to this uh this movie, Sam. This uh, this little short with the rest. Well, thank you. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not knows? sure if you knew this, but right out of high school, I was a pro wrestler no for way. a few years. <laughs> no way. Yeah, my you, name was 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's a good name, but what was the gimmick? I was just uh, I was like a pothead cocaine addict. Okay. What's like the they, they would make fun of me. Like the commentators would always say, like, this looks like uh Hugh Morris, like a uh, Hugh Morris is like duffel bag. Like a lot of my <laughs> friends would joke that I would just wear the same shit to the ring that I would get to the show in. So Hang on, but if you're a pothead and a cokehead, was your character like amped up, or was he? Like oh yeah, a- I was. Yeah, I was like basically just myself. Because <laughs> I was thinking of who is it? Um, uh, Matt Riddle. He's he's got the laid back stoner vibe. Yeah. But then I feel like the coked up vibe puts you more in a macho man category. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like I would all. There's some videos. There's some videos on YouTube. Um, I would. I would. I would put uh, like powder around my nose and all kinds of stuff. I, <laughs> Not one. I should have stuck with it, man. But I <laughs> like I was shy back then, and like I would never, you know, it was the independent scene. I would work for the guys that trained me, and I wouldn't put myself out there and go, you know, and try and get on other shows. So it eventually, just faded away. Where was that? Was I in Florida? Uh, no, I, I'm actually originally from Pennsylvania, so it was like around okay. uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah. Actually, I, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, ECW, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember. They they had a short run there. Bad Crew. No, I don't remember. Bad Crew number one and number two. Okay. Uh, those are the guys that trained me, actually. They were in no ECW way. for a while. Yeah. I did. I, when I was when I was on the I Am Ven- I did a movie called I Am Vengeance Retaliation with um, Stu Bennett, uh, Bad News Barrett, and... Also on that film was a guy called Greg Burridge, who's a seasoned uh, independent pro wrestler from England. And he he invited me over to, after the movie, to come and train at his place. And, <laughs> oh, my God, it was unbelievable. How many squats did he make you do? Well, you know what? Actually, the, the, the warm-up, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna sound like a cocky bastard, but then I'm gonna bring myself <laughs> down straight away. The warm up and the the physical fitness element I, I, I dealt with okay, but then the in the ring, oh my god, the just bumpy. like oh, because we he had us he, he had us um, you know taking some bumps and it was <laughs> it was it was and. Because I always, I always joke and I say, you know, people say, oh, why did you want to be an actor? And I'm like, because I knew I couldn't be a pro wrestler. So it was the next <laughs> um, Cause, But it's interesting because I feel like now, like when I was, you know, I'm five foot ten. And when I was growing up, like, I was like, well, I could, no way can I be a pro wrestler? I'm tiny compared to these guys. But now, like, there's guys on there that are smaller than me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. what's going on here? Um but I, I've got. I'm in so much. I'm in awe of professional wrestlers um, for what you know. The mix of the athletic ability, the the pain threshold, the commitment, and the performance aspect. I'm just like that's why I love it so much. The older I've got, the more I love it because the more I've understood about what sacrifices need to be made. And um, I was hurting for like three weeks after one three-hour session i was like yep um i think that's uh gonna be me for now i think um although somebody said to me a friend of mine who's a, a 
a pro wrestler. He's called, actually keep an eye out for him. He's called Bullet, um, and he's he's in progress wrestling at the moment in the UK, uh, but he's on the rise. And he's in Screwjob. And he, I, I was telling him about my session about how like the next few days I, I felt like I couldn't walk, and 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 then and then he said, I said I was hurting for like two weeks after three weeks, and he goes, "Dude, there's your mistake." I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you should have trained the next day. <laughs> and I was like, uh, all right. And he goes, yeah, no, no. He, he said, I'm, I'm being serious. Like if I, he said, if he, do, if he does a match and then does the next match he does, if he, if he does a match like every month, once a month, once every two weeks, he feels it. But if he, if he does like four nights a week, five nights a week, he doesn't feel it. So he's like, it's like you. I don't know whether you relate to that, or whether you're like that's absolute shit. But for him, it's like you, your body gets into the zone and it kind of becomes calloused almost if you continually do it. I don't know whether that's true. Uh, Casey lost his mic over there. What's going on over there? Fix your microphone, Casey. We spend here. Not- not- yeah, there, there we go. go. All right. Can you hear me? Yeah. Do you touch right. that cord? Dude, you touched the cord, a didn't you? Set up. I didn't touch oh, anything. Jesus. I, I can fucking wha- yank this thing all over the place. <laughs> Apparently not. <clears throat> I don't know where we were. Sam, this has been awesome, man. Uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this this uh, movie. The payday is awesome. Check it out. Um, let me see if I have anything else. Oh, are you watching? Uh, are you watching AEW? You know what? I I haven't watched it for the last month or so. The last thing I saw was. Um, it was thinking it was the pay per view before last, but um, I don't know how to. How do I watch it in America? I haven't figured that out yet. What channel is it on? Uh, TBS or TNT? Uh, TBS and, on Wednesdays and TNT on Friday. And can I watch that on some kind of on demand thing? Because oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, yeah. I'm sure wherever you're staying has yeah. on demand, right? Yeah, I've been mainly. I've just been catching up on Survivor Series. Um, but yeah, AEW. I was loving AEW. What is it? Are you digging it at the moment, dude? So here, confession. I did, I stopped watching pro wrestling twenty years ago. Like when I got into pro wrestling, I stopped watching it. Yeah, and I would only catch maybe WrestleMania every year with with my buddies. Yeah, uh, when All In, All In, I believe was the very first like the independent. That was like yeah. the independent yeah. pay per view with like all the promotions right i heard about that and i saw the match i I, i'm not sure was that cody and dustin where they where they fought each other on that one i I saw that and i was like i want to fucking see what this is all about and i have been watching AEW since since that and like it it has been awesome it's it's so good so good it's i mean i i watched it pretty much consistently i've just had a, a gap in the recent um, in the recent couple of months, but uh, yeah, I think it's it was exactly what pro wrestling needed. Um, the competition, and also just that. I mean, maybe I'm old school, but you know, just the. I think sometimes WWE has been trying to reinvent the wheel, and it's like all you got to do is have someone who people want to get battered, yeah. And someone who, yeah. someone who people want to win, and. You know, it's it's just basic. Even though even though I hated it, but you know, when I just talked about my the British Bulldog, it's yeah. like it's you gotta have you gotta have outright villainy 
You've got to have horrendous people doing terrible stuff, cheating. You know, that's why the NWO was so good, was because in a match they just sent 20 guys in to batter the hell out of a bunch of the good guys. So, um, but yeah, AEW, some of it, like, there's like a third of AEW that doesn't tickle my fancy because it's too, it's too, like, acrobatic. Um, not to say you're that old it's school, skilled, but I just feel like I I like it realistic, and if it, if it looks too dance like, I think it loses the the drama. Um, so I think there's some of that, but generally it's just been um, really great. And I know uh, you know Regal Regal's in there, and he's gone. Is he gone? He's gone. I don't want to oh. ruin it, but he's he, yeah. Uh, apparently. He uh, he got out of his contract um, early, so he could go back to WWE. Well, his son's there now. His son's in WWE. No way. Yeah. Well, I think also uh, can't I think remember the kid's name, but if Chris um, something, well, I don't know if um, who knows? I think WWE is going to improve and has to improve, um, and I do think I think Triple H likes more of the old school as well. Um, yeah. You can see I'm wondering to- I'm wondering since uh Regal left, this has been a this has been in the back of my mind for a, a little while, especially with like AEW working with other promotions, all the, a lot of the independent promotions and even some of the bigger ones like New Japan and and yeah. uh Impact and NWA stuff like that. I'm wondering if Regal was sent there as like a <laughs> As an a, a secret agent, and I'm wondering if there's going to be some sort of big crossover coming. What? I don't know. It's just that's been in the back of my head for a long time, man. I how? I mean, that would be so good for business for everyone. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> I don't see the thing is with, with things like that. I don't even know if maybe under maybe under Triple H would be different, but. I just feel like I get the impression WWE's like production like machine just they wouldn't accept their their wrestlers on anything that wasn't in their control a hundred percent. and that's one of the things I love about AEW is it really it felt like which is a thing history history's been told one way, but some of my favorite memories as a kid watching wrestling was watching WCW Nitro um, because it felt like the cameras. And yeah, sometimes this was because of, you know, backstage, it was all last minute, but with WCW, it felt like it was, it was cameras covering a sporting, you know, event where you didn't know what was going to happen. Whereas WWE, especially now, it always there's that element of like it does feel like it's not spontaneous and if it feels like a, a television show rather than um, a television broadcast of a show. So that's what I love about AEW, just that little bit of you know. And Tony Schiavone's voice doesn't uh, doesn't it's so uh, good, man, right? yeah. It, it also adds to it as well. I think that was the right the right touch. But you know, I think somebody said. Uh, I think it was on, I don't know whether you listen to OSW Review, 
Do you no. know about this? Check it out. OSW review. It's uh, three Irish guys review old um, wrestling pay-per-views, but okay. it's like a video podcast and they're hilarious, but they also, it's, it's really cool. And, um, and they, sometimes they talk really, you know, they talk about their girlfriends and they say, yeah, every time I've got wrestling on, my girlfriend walks in when it's the most horrendous, <laughs> like cringy, worst piece of television ever. It'll be like the, the moment when it's the mud wrestling match or the stupid, you know, gimmick blow up doll on a pole or, and, and my girlfriend would be like, why do you watch this? This is terrible. And then, and then one of them, one of them finally worked out an answer to it. And he, and he said, listen, he said, I, we watched wrestling because listen, most of the time, it's not it doesn't quite nail it but when it nails it it's the best thing you can watch it's like when Never. they get it right it's lightning in a bottle um yeah those moments we can count on our hands when we're like oh you know sure everyone's got one of those when you're a kid or um yeah just just those moments like like i don't know I wasn't there, but SummerSlam 92, I imagine, was probably one of those moments. Yeah, man. Uh, I've My girlfriend hates wrestling. So, like, I, I, I sure... Get I, rid of her! Dude, <laughs> like, 10 minutes before we started this, I was showing her... It was the funniest thing I've seen in the longest time. I don't know why I like it so much, but I love when people do Dusty Rhodes' accent. Or, not accent, his lisp. His voice, yeah. And I've never heard William Regal do uh, an American accent, let alone a Dusty Rhodes impression. And during his podcast the other day, he was talking about the very first time he ever met Dusty Rhodes. And it was in a 12 by 12 room. Was it when he's he's naked? Naked, sitting in his cowboy boots. And William Regal handed him his uh, paperwork or whatever. And Dusty just looks over him. He goes, and Doug, Doug Dillinger is standing behind him. Of course he is. He's a giant, folded, you know, his arms are folded behind him. And Dusty looks over this paperwork and he goes, Stephen, I'm just like Whitney Houston. <laughs> I have my own bodyguard. <laughs> and, and then he said, okay, thank you. And Stephen Regal just left. He's like, I, I have no idea what else to say. Yeah. What can you say? Yeah, I've heard that is it's so fucking great, man. Yeah, that is um oh what yeah, what a legend. Um yeah, so is is Arn your favorite of all time? Uh I wouldn't say no he's not my favorite all time. I, I think the Iron Sheik would have to be my favorite. What? Yeah, man. Iron Sheik. <laughs> From Tehran. That, well, hang on, you're American. You're supposed to hate him. I love bad no. guys, man. <laughs> that's what that's what's missing from today, by the way. Yeah, that's why that's why MJF. He's so it, good. Is is so good because he gets it. And nowadays, it's easier than ever to wind people up. Oh yeah. So I don't know why. Like he in in like in the eighties. He'd be he'd be a decent heel, but in 2022 he's untouchable because yeah. nobody's nobody's doing. And I don't know why more people don't um, 
But yeah, I love all of that stuff. Like a good old fashioned, someone who just is willing to be hated. Like yeah. absolutely hated. Yeah. Um, but, so know, it sounds like you you listened to a bunch of uh, wrestling podcasts. Have you ever heard the story about Arn Anderson uh, getting stabbed on his way out of a building? Uh, probably. I mean, I listened to a lot of Jim Cornette, so I've probably okay. probably <laughs> heard. I've probably heard. Um, so Arn Arn uh, has a podcast. It's called the Arn Show. Oh yeah, I've listened to story it, yeah. about. Uh, he got stabbed on the way out of a building and Conrad Thompson, his, the podcast partner was like, and you actually went back the next day. He goes, I was just doing my job, man. (laughs) He was, I was really good at my job. (laughs) Yeah. That's, it's unbelievable. Like the, some of the stories you hear of back in the day when, when, you know, it was really high stakes stuff and, um, Obviously, we don't want stabbings, but it'd be nice, you know. I don't know, but as well, even in, you know, the football culture in England, um, you try and explain it to people. And, <clears throat> like, we don't go – like, when I, when I go and see my home team, we don't go to have fun. We don't go for the enjoyment. It's, it's, it's a life and death. We must win or my whole week is going to be shit. <laughs> That's the mentality. And you go, and and whoever you're playing, like, it always feels like the ref is on their side, and they'll, they'll dive, and then the ref will give the decision to them. And we're like, oh, come on. And then, you know, that player, you know, does a little gesture to the home fans, and then we get riled up, and we're shouting <laughs> abuse. They're shouting abuse at us. I'm like, that's that's like, it doesn't mean it's going to get violent. It's just that's part of the. Once you're in the stadium, it's that it's that thing. And I, I think that's, you know, most of the good wrestling matches, the memorable ones, is where the crowd is really, um, you know, like I always think about, um, like I, I always go back and watch Goldberg versus Hogan in the Georgia Dome. That crowd is so wants Goldberg to win and Hogan to get his ass kicked. It's palpable, the energy in there. And and Hogan, he's just doing all these little cheating things and one of his cronies comes down and the crowd's on him. Um, And I think, you know, they need to just do that. That was true heat, man. When when Hogan turned, when Hogan turned... There was nothing ever like that. It was that was fucking incredible. Well, yeah, and even though loads of people, I mean, I don't know what he's like as a person. Loads of people give him stick, but you know, he he was the pioneer of the eighties wrestling boom, really, as as a as a hero. And then in the nineties wrestling boom, he was the heel. Yeah. Um, so it's like, and in the nineties, you watch his matches. He he doesn't need to do much. Doesn't do anything. Um, just be a coward. <laughs> Dead easy. Um, it's like when I watch the um, when you watch a lot of WWE recently. My main gripe is if you don't cheat, are you a heel? Like, what are you doing? Right. I'm supposed to not like you, but you just won the match fair and square. <laughs> what, what am I meant to do with that? Just because you do a scowl when you go to the ring it doesn't make any sense. 
But yeah, anyway, we could talk for hours. Anyway, yeah, Sam, <laughs> we could talk for hours about wrestling. Maybe we'll have to have you back on uh, just the pro wrestling episode. There you go. Um, there you go. Please tell everyone where they can find you, all that good stuff before we wrap here. So go to the pe- go to paydaymovie.com um, and watch the payday. Give us a give us a buy or a rent and uh, have a fun ride. Um, or you can follow me at Sam Benjamin now. Um, and yeah, um, that's that's how you can reach me. And I uh, hope you like the film. And yeah, give us give us a, a generous review if you feel like it. Will do, man. Thank you so much for taking the time, brother. No, thank you so much. I'm happy Christmas, everyone. Yeah, Merry Christmas, yeah, everyone. Merry this, Christmas. Uh, I forgot about that. Merry Christmas. Yeah. All right, we'll see you, man.